Hi, this is Adrian Lawson, and you're listening to The Real Reading Podcast. Hello. Hello! I'm Hugh Ford. I'm Jenny Slevin. And I'm Tom Canning. And welcome to episode 6 of The Real Reading Podcast. We're recording this on Monday the 19th of February, and our guest this week is Adrian Lawson, who is talking to us about the brilliant work of Reading Bicycle Kitchen. If you want to get involved in the show, you can follow us on Twitter at Real Reading Pod. You can look us up on Facebook by searching Real Reading Podcast. Uh, we're on Instagram as well, and if you can, if you're able to, please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, we've still only got one review, despite my shout out from last week, and it's still only me. So you know, I don't know what you two are doing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think there was very good podcasting etiquette to review yourself. I think you've got to start somewhere. <laughs> so we'll now have three reviews, all from the three of us. That's fine. That's fine. It's the best podcast by us. Don't worry, guys. I'll talk to my mum. I'll get her to sort out. As well as the interview with Adrian, we have all the usual features, including what we've liked this week and Fort explains it all. Um, before that, though, Jenny, um, we both went running at the weekend, didn't we? Yes. This isn't to exclude you at all. But I was just wondering, when you go running, what do you notice? What do you do? I listen to a very loud 90s (laughs) (laughs) R&B and try to forget that I'm running. (laughs) Yeah, no, I I think I I noticed at the weekend when I I was out running, it was probably one of my longest runs for a while. I noticed both my knees were really, really red. Oh, and sort of just wear the muscles. Shorts? Yeah. Oh god, yeah. Great. Of course, shorts. Why would you? Oh, you've seen these legs. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, no. So what, the reason I bring this up was because I was running around Coley, and Coley is obviously a fairly new built sort of area. But there's a bit of wall down uh, Arbour Lane, I think uh, Arbour Close. Sorry, and it's completely not in keeping with the rest of the place, and it's like this really old wall. And I was just wondering, I, that's the sort of thing that I notice when I'm out running. I just notice things that I don't normally see. I see. I, well, I'm not sure. I, I, yeah, my, my run this week wasn't as picturesque as usual. We did basically the, the whole of the Reading Half Marathon route, but starting at Sweatshop in Friar Street. Yeah. We went um, kind of along towards Prospect Park and then... Bath Road and uh, Curry Avenue, Barclay Road, onto the A33, and that was a that I, I noticed a lot of rubbish along the A33. I'm not sure what <laughs> you're talking about. There are a lot of uh, there's a lot of littering along the A33 in the ditches yeah. down there. Um, I, I, I bring this up mostly. Sorry, Hugh. I was just t- talking about the uh, the glory of moving slowly. Uh, I know obviously you're running, so you're not moving that slowly. Oh, but, I don't know. Um, it, it it is in relation to driving everywhere. When if you walk or if you use uh, are running or cycling, you tend to take in much more yeah. around you than when you're in the car and concentrating on driving and um, sometimes getting into that sort of zone where you're driving where you suddenly realise you've done a big stretch of Bath Road without realising. And um, Whereas you can really take in your surroundings, around, particularly when you're running, because you can go, ooh, that looks like a nice wall, and give yourself an excuse <laughs> to have a, have a rest. <laughs> on it. Yeah. Did you sit down on the wall, Tom? Is that why you noticed it? No, no, no. It was a high wall. It, yeah. was, like a, it was like an old wall. I think there's a mill. There's an old mill behind that part. And the other thing that struck me around there was that like most of the houses, especially on the edge, are just back onto nothing. So you can go from obviously being in a really built-up area and suddenly you're in the middle of nowhere. It's just, I don't know. I just found it fascinating. I will uh, open my eyes on my next run. Like I say, I, I like to forget that I'm running, so I probably <laughs> just... Um, sorry, I just found a massive 
I don't know what that is. It looks like black hair, but I'm blonde. I don't know whose no, it is. Either of you. No, that's too long to be Hugh's hair. <laughs> uh, yeah. And too, and too <laughs> coloured to be my hair. <laughs> I, I am about 80% grey. <laughs> you have had a rather fantastic haircut. So. He has. Yes, it was... <laughs> Uh, yes, the village, the village barbers in Sonnen Common. It's one of those. I do one of those stupid things where I drive quite a long way away from where I live to have a haircut in a, in a place I know. I'm terrified of hairdressers. Yes. I hate going to hairdressers. Tom goes to the hairdressers on his lunch break. I'm using inverted commas. Obviously, listeners can't see that. But he he just like pops off to the hairdressers for like well, yeah. three hours. Or three hours? Afternoon. What are you talking about? It's like half hour. Mm. What do you think I'm doing? It's half hour. Well, it, it's I was three hours. <laughs> Anyway, we've gone off on a bit of a tangent, um, but yeah, no, I'll keep my eyes open next time I go for a run. Yeah, just let us know what you see. I just, I, I quite like running around there, and it's just, you know, it's hardly picturesque necessarily, Cole, is it? But it's, it's all right. I'll tell you what I have noticed go on. on my on my evening runs. Again, we're sweatshop on a Tuesday night. We go along the uh, the Thames, and there are quite a few hot spots where uh, there's a very strong smell of marijuana. <laughs> That's what I've noticed about Reading. It seems to be uh, perfuming the air. It's, our, it's, the, it's the town scent. <laughs> I suppose, I was I suppose re- to the town centre. Yeah. I, yeah. I always remember my, my, when my mum used to tell me about growing up in Slough and uh, they'd have the Mars factory, so I suppose it's probably slightly nicer, I guess. <laughs> nicer than melting chocolate, yeah. I'm not sure about or, that. Or the Whitley Whiff. The infamous De- Whitley Whiff. Definitely preferable to the Whitley Whiff, but um, it's a bit distracting when you're on a run. Yes, oh God, yeah. Um, okay, so on to what we've liked this week. like to talk about some very positive successful policing um the police in my opinion mostly unfairly get a lot of stick um particularly people saying you never see the police anymore um i don't want to get into into police cuts or anything like that but um but they do get they do get quite a bit of unfair criticism um and this is a this uh, what I wanted to talk about was is a very proactive thing they did in regards to quite a serious, rather terrifying actually, um, uh, spate of incidents in Reading. A couple of weeks ago, we covered the sentencing of uh, two men called Idi Faisal and Abi Shadane, who um, who were robbers, as, who were part of a gang of robbers who were, who would basically target men in Reading as they try, who had a few beers um, as they tried to to get to the taxi ranks and go home, um, and they would rob them of their money cash cards and phones quite often quite often knife point so a really nasty frightening um, experience these two uh, were jailed after they were involved in this really tragic incident where they tried to mug someone who then escaped from them who then they then, they then caught up with him in an alleyway and something happened to him which caused him to have quite a bad injury he then found himself in a block of flats in Southampton Street and somehow when trying to get out fell to his death his name was Samuel O'Brien and the sentencing was a couple of weeks ago and it was a very emotional and sad court case but the the kind of more positive thing is that um, the police realised once they got once they got these two charged in the system that there was this gang going around Reading, coming in from Hayes in London, 
essentially targeted them to try to get them get evidence on them to, with with the aim of prosecuting them for for these robberies, but also to basically stop them coming into Reading. And they did numerous spot checks on them. They had they knew who they were. They had the CCTV all over spotting them coming in on the train. Quite often they would they would intercept them as they got off the train and start searching them and essentially making their lives a misery and to the point where they haven't been seen since. So that is a very positive, proactive, um, successful police operation. And we, it is often highlighted when police do things wrong and when people complain about them. But when they are, have success, these successful operations like that, um, that should be highlighted too. So I just wanted to bring people's attention to that in that they, they identified a problem, they came up with a solution to the problem and they've stopped the problem. And it's important to, to note that they are still investigating um, a number of incidents involving the gang, aren't they? Um, so then they haven't just driven them out yeah, of Reading and that, now yeah, that's it. It's not necessarily, not necessarily sending the problem elsewhere. Um, we could well see um, members of this gang in, in court in future. Um, we'll have to wait and see on that. I, I don't know the details, but... Mm. I mean that's 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 fantastic, really. Um, we've all obviously had a few pints, not obviously not yourself, but you know, no, I have in my youth, <laughs> wandering wandering home trying to find a taxi, and then that, I mean that would be that be absolutely terrifying. It's a tragic circumstances, unfortunately. But um, okay, mine. I started the Ale Trail. I know we talked about the Ale Trail uh, a couple of weeks ago, Jenny, um, but I started the Ale Trail uh, with with my wife on Saturday night. Uh, and we failed quite miserably to do any trailing. Got to the nags head, got a book, and four hours later, it was closing time. Um, <laughs> the ale fail. The ale fail. Very good. Very good. Um, we, yeah, we we got in there and had a had a quick drink, and we were going to move on. And then you know, you kind of it was a slightly quieter night in there, and we had a seat, and it was like it was almost a shame to kind of go out really and then we started going through the slightly stronger beers on the menu third each of those one called Tickle Monster which was absolutely knocked your socks off wonderful um, I think it was about 11 or 12% so it's a third Blimey. of that yeah, third of that but you, it was way too easy to drink um, so yeah so anyway it ended up staying um, so we've got to try and uh, get out and, and see some of the other pubs on the list I think there's 24 on the list as we discussed previously but it's a good, you know, it's a good start. It is a good start, and good start. and as you said at the weekend when I was taking the Mickey out of you for for not actually trailing <laughs> anywhere, there's plenty of time. There is plenty of time. Yes, except for the honeymoon in four weeks. So of course, five yes, weeks. five weeks going away somewhere exotic soon. Yeah, but I'm not going to tell you when in case someone comes and robs me. <laughs> my my dad's uh, doing the ale trail at the minute, but he also has a has a thousand and one beers to try before you die book. Yeah. So if I tell him where you're going, is it okay if he sends you a list of beers for you to bring back? <laughs> yes, <to you>? fine. Because <laughs> he does that to everyone who's going on holiday. We'll do this. Uh, we'll do this offline. As they say. I had a a, a bottle of uh, American craft ale explode in my suitcase on my way oh, home. No. <laughs> 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 oh no! Jenny, what's your thing? Well, following on from last week's interview that you did with Jess Freeland from Reading Abbey, um, we've got some more kind of Abbey quarter news. And that is that Reading Council has put out an appeal this week um, for volunteers to dress up as historical characters and interact with visitors when the Abbey quarter opens in the summer. Um, So obviously you spoke to Jess about how Reading Abbey will be opening on June 16th. 
Um, and now Reading Council is looking for brave history fans to dress up and play characters from Reading's history. So that could be Jane Austen, Henry I, Queen Elizabeth. They're looking for a Tudor woman, medieval monks, perhaps a laundress. Um, and they'll be, like I say, interacting with visitors to Reading Abbey once it opens. They say that there's no acting experience needed, so if okay. either of you fancy, fancy it, then you can take part. Battle to the death. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, you don't even need your own costume. They'll provide you with a, with a replica costume of something that would be okay. appropriate to the era you're representing. Um, and they'll also give you advice on how to research the characters that you're supposed to be portraying. Um, and councillor Sarah Hacker, who is Reading Borough Council's lead member for culture, says that it's a great opportunity for people to get involved in the Abbey project and help them bring history to life. And if they think that they, if anyone thinks they could share their love of history with visitors, then get in touch and uh, and, and have a great experience while doing it. So just a, a little bit of fun. Um, it, it it seems like we we know quite a few people who uh, who might be up for it. Don't we? <laughs> I think this sounds like uh, is it, I think it's is it A two supplies on Friar Street. I think they may finally sell that suit of armour. I am absolutely fascinated by. It. I think it's going to go in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I. I <laughs> You think you think so? Maybe maybe there could be a night. Do you fancy being I'm, a night at Reddit? I'm going to get down there. I'm going to see how much this thing is because <laughs> I am fascinated. Every time I walk past it, I cannot understand why there's a suit of armour in the window. And now I know. Now I'm, this is it. Two <laughs> <laughs> supplies coming yeah. into their own. I think they do have a, a very good trade. There, by the way, they they sell lots of kind of like combat gear and anything that I'm sure I, they do. But I'm only looking at the suit of armour. <laughs> I would, I, I would definitely go if you were standing outside in a suit of armour. Yeah. I think well, it would be quite funny to push you over and see if you could get up back up again. <laughs> oh, but I think it's I think it's a really nice way to get people in, involved in in um, this kind of relaunch of culture in Reading. Yes. So obviously it's going to be very exciting once the Abbey reopens. It's going to be lovely to kind of have that space that yeah. the public can use again. So it's a great it's a great way to get involved if you are looking forward to it. I was just going to say on that, perhaps they should do a modern version as well, where we could dress up as people like Ricky Gervais and, and uh, Kenneth Branagh, the, uh, yes. the, the more yeah. modern ce- celebrities of the... Of the, of the uh... So when you said no, historical no, characters, think I was thinking maybe Robin Friday or something like that. They, do, they don't seem to, to have any, uh, any limit on, on when the history stops being history. So, you know, you know, yesterday was history. We could have anyone. Alan Pardew. Former Reading manager, <laughs> now managing West Brom. Uh, thanks, guys. Uh, now it's time for Fort Explains It All. Hugh, what have you got for us? We're going to talk about housing this week, and particularly houses which should be built but aren't built. Um, we have some information through from our data unit, which is a, a group of people who really, really love spreadsheets. Um, more than Tom. More than you, Tom. <laughs> um, they've given us information there are 60,000 um, homes which have planning permission across the southeast but are not yet built. So that is quite a lot, and a lot of the suggestions as to why they're not built is that the developers buy the land, get planning permission, and then wait for the land to accrue in value before building any houses so they can sell the houses for more. Um, Obviously, 
the southeast is a very big area, and there's going to be a variety of reasons why why houses aren't getting built. Um, we're going to ask um, the councils, all our councils, so Wokingham, Bracknell, Reading, and West Berkshire, to see if they have specific details of this particular issue for those areas to, to publish later in the week. It may well be published by the time the podcast comes out on Friday. Who knows? Fingers um, crossed. Fingers crossed. Yeah, it depends on whether how easily the information is available. Um, but this has prompted the town council in Wokingham to write to the Prime Minister because they are unhappy at the way things are. So what they're saying, Wokingham has a a policy in place where it needs to build 896 homes a year. They give permission for that many and then they don't get built in in the time that the council would like. And so then when they refuse planning applications, planning inspectors are saying, well, you haven't built enough houses, so I'm going to allow this development to be put on top of your housing allocation because you haven't built 896 homes this year. And the town council they're working was quite rightly saying, we don't build the houses, the developers build the houses, we can't make them build the houses at the speed at the speed we like it's not really fair then for people to come in and overrule our planning decisions on the ground so we haven't built houses even though and then the consideration should be to what's given permission not what's built and that's where they've written to Theresa May um, to to highlight this so it'll be very interesting to see um, when those figures come back um, because you also have this problem which is the fact that that, uh, Tony Page in Reading often mentions and complains about this is that what you've got houses with planning permission that aren't built and you can convert offices into housing without planning permission which takes out the concept of affordable housing and um, infrastructure payments to the council and so that you've got this very strange situation where you have two two planning rules which completely contradict each other um, and so I will try to speak to Tony Page about this once if I get the figures off Reading Borough Council to see what he says, and I'm sure he will have something to say. <laughs> you think so, wouldn't you? Yeah, and um, it it sounds like, to be honest, it sounds like a bit of a mess. Um, it sounds like the developers have far too much control, um, to which local authorities are subsequently getting penalised um, with developers sitting on land waiting for it to accrue, and in towns like Wokingham, where a three-bedroom house was. Two hundred ninety-five, a mere two hundred ninety-five thousand pounds. Two years ago, it's now three hundred eighty-five thousand pounds for a three-bed. Um, you don't even get a wheelie bin with that, do you? No, you don't. No, <laughs> you don't. And and apartments um, have gone up from two hundred eighty-five thousand, so a flat essentially, a big, obviously, probably quite a big flat, to three hundred forty-five thousand. So the the prices are massive, and the developers. Are making lots of money, and the, these councillors are trying to put pressure on the government to give a bit more power back to them to stop them getting penalised and essentially having more housing developments that they don't want because they've deemed them not to be right for the area. They're not necessarily against building houses, um, they're, but they have this right houses in the right mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. And uh, when planning inspectors take that away from the council, they all get very cross about it, and so. Like I say, it does sound like a mess, and we'll see how bad this particular problem of non-house building is once we get these figures back. So planning permission expires, doesn't it? It does, yeah. It's three years. 
but developers can, if if it looks like planning permission will expire, they can apply for it to be extended. Right. I don't know what happened. I don't think I've ever come across a case where planning permission hasn't been ex- extended because mm. it would create a really difficult situation because then, say, if you've got permission for a really big development and you haven't built it, that's that's bad on the developer's part for whatever reason. But then if you take the permission away, then you've got nothing. Mm. And so you're not going to meet your housing allocation that way. Yeah. And so it puts you in that situation again where the planning inspector can say, you haven't met your housing allocation, I'm going to give the permission to this. We actually had something like that in Reading um, not too long ago with Groveland's Baptist Church, where the church group had applied to replace the church um, with a certain number of flats. Forgive me, I can't remember off the top of my head what they were. Um, And that planning permission was given, and they haven't done any building work since that planning permission was given. It's now expired. They have applied for planning permission again, but for this time, for more for more flats or houses in the place of the church and that's been denied so obviously if they'd have built those homes when they were first given the planning permission they'd have been able to sell them and make some money mm-hmm. now by now but they haven't done it the planning permission has expired they've now asked for, for more and they've been told no and so now they've got nothing so presumably they'll they'll relook at the plans and, and do them again but that's a that's a scenario of that happening i suppose something like this could lead to a lot of overdevelopment eventually couldn't it because like you say planning permission is being given on appeal because the councils haven't fulfilled their 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 allocation of houses that they need to build but if they've already given permission for a huge development and then another huge mm. development's given permission on appeal yeah. they can then both be built yeah and it very much takes control away from the councils who put together their plans of where they want housing to be and how much housing is allocated for that land. And those plans are supposed to be binding, but subsequently what can be overruled on those plans, as I understand it, is if you don't have enough houses. I think it happened in Oxfordshire where they've had to build loads more houses around Didcot than they wanted because in other parts of because they didn't have enough houses in their plan. And so planning inspectors took control, essentially, and said, you've got to build these houses. And so it kind of makes a mockery of them coming up with these plans um, for the developers to get permission on land and not to build the houses on them. It's an interesting point you said as well um, about offices, because you often see, certainly online, you see the members of the public saying, well, we've got all these empty offices, why don't you make them into flats or apartments or whatever? But you said um, that... That means there's no public money necessary, necessarily going into the council coffers from that. Or affordable housing. So yeah. the, the council has a policy of, say, if you wanted to build 12 houses on a bit of land, say uh, 30% of them would have to be affordable housing. So mm. Three or four. Four. <laughs> four. <laughs> wow, maths. Four. Uh, <laughs> whereas the, the way the conversion, because you're converting an existing building the legal requirement is difficult different the the, uh, the developer just has a right to the council say saying we want to convert this office into this many flats can we and then they have to meet a load of, a load of criteria yeah. like you know will it cause flooding will it cause parking problems blah, blah blah if it meets all that they they get permission to do it but they they don't have to pay anything to the council or meet the affordable housing requirement and this is what drives tony page up the wall in reading and so, yeah, like I said, you get this bizarre contrast of houses that have permission not being built and houses which don't have planning permissions, as you as I would know it, being put into yeah. old offices willy-nilly. And there being no real public kind of um, 
No, then the developers don't have to contribute affordable housing, but they also don't have to contribute any money towards roads or uh, community centres being built, all the things that the council funds that they they rely on developer contributions to be able to fund. Wow, okay. We'd love to hear some feedback on that. Um, We'd love to know what you think uh, about the plans and, and, you know, what you think about what you think should be done to encourage these house builders to just get on with it. Now we've got a pre-recorded interview with Adrian Lawson uh, from Reading Bicycle Kitchen. Roll the tape. in the Get Reading office with Adrian Lawson, the founder of the Reading Bike Kitchen uh, and also a volunteer at the Reading Bike Kitchen. Hi Adrian, how are you? Hi, I'm very well, very well. Well, you're not, you're not very well, no. right? <laughs> I've got a cold, I'm a bit bunged up, but I'm fine. Sound, sounding good though, sounding Thank good, as, as most people do when they've got a cold, you sound absolutely fantastic, but feel dreadful. Yeah. Um, so, Reading Bike Kitchen, um, tell us a little bit about it, what does it do, what are the aims? The basic aim is quite simple. It's to provide somewhere where people can come and fix their bikes. That's the basic concept. Um, we were doing it for a little while in an informal way. We would turn up at different places, um, put up some work stands, put, lay out some tools, yeah. have a few spares, tins of oil and things like that, and help people. People would come along and do fixed punctures, adjust gears, you know, put new brake pads on and stuff like that. Uh, and then we decided that at that time, uh, back in uh, the big early days, there was a, a grant available from Reading Borough Council to uh, run a, a sustainable transport project. And obviously cycling is a pretty sustainable transport. Yes. So we applied for a grant, which we were given, which enabled us to buy loads of tools, loads of work stands, quite a lot of spares, and run a proper and and then look for uh, premises and by a complete stroke of luck we were offered Jackson's yeah um, and we they said we could have it for maybe six months and we took on the corner we took on the whole building but we only needed the corner yeah. the doors on the corner and some space downstairs and we just uh, opened up one morning in June 2014 and we thought wonder what's going to happen next we were swamped yeah we were absolutely swamped day one we were there for four hours I don't know how many people came in but it was packed the whole time <laughs> and uh, we but then initially we were open then on, on a Thursday night so Thursday night came around we were swamped again so we got some more people to give us a hand people from the bike trade um, lots more volunteers lots of people who came into the bike kitchen who had their bike fixed, or no, they didn't get their bike fixed because we didn't fix their bikes, we helped them fix their bikes, liked the idea and came back and volunteered. Wow. So I'll give you an example. On very, very early days, a guy came in and I think it might have been the first or second Saturday that we were open and said that he had uh, loads of bikes in his garden and he just bought cheap bikes out of the free ads or Gumtree or whatever. And when they went wrong, he just parked them up and went and got another one. (laughs) 
and it was getting out of hand because his garden was full of bikes that had one thing yeah. wrong with them and now the tyres had gone flat and the chains had gone rusty and he said can I help can I bring some of these and he brought the first one in and, and there's a, a to a non-cyclist the bottom bracket bearing is one of those things you just can't get at you need a few special tools it's right in the middle of the frame it, it's just a, you know when it goes it goes and he abandoned a perfectly good bike with a worn out bottom bracket bearing so he put the bike on he brought it he wheeled it in we showed him how to take it apart and at the same time we had people donating old bikes because we had because we had Jacksons one of the additional parts of the project was that we could take on old bikes and refurbish them yeah. and sell them and that was also a skill building exercise for some of the volunteers they could work on a bike and when it had been refurbished sell it but they got the experience of doing it up it wasn't their bike and then nobody yeah. was dependent on it until it was ready and we, we had a, good, a fairly elaborate process for making sure bikes were ready Anyway, somebody had donated a bike and it really wasn't ever going to be refurbished, <laughs> so we just were just stripping it. Yeah. And we took his bottom bracket bearing out of his bike and it clearly did a new one. And he said, where am I going to get one of those from? And I said, well, that bike over there that those guys are dismantling has got exactly the same part. So if you show them how to get it out, you can have it yeah. and put it back in your bike. So from being an, uh, somebody who didn't know anything about bikes... He went over to the corner and said, can I show you how to take that out? He now was able to demonstrate, because he was fresh in his mind, how to remove it. He took it, and then between them all, they put it in his bike, and off he went. So he then came yeah. back and thought, I can do this. It did give him that power. Yeah. To, you know. So he came back and he helped people. And, and the only criteria for being a volunteer at the bike kitchen was that you were prepared to help others. That was it. That's fantastic. You didn't have to be a bike mechanic. You just wanted to help. Yeah. And soon, people who didn't know anything about bike mechanics did and were more yeah. helpful to people fixing bikes but there were so many other aspects to the project someone's got to be on the counter someone's got to yeah. make the tea and sweep up and run the behind the scenes <laughs> stuff get stock in manage the accounts there's all those things you know yeah. so loads and loads of people came we had 286 people volunteer over the life of the project which is astonishing yeah people giving up their time people came into reading there were students at the uni uh all sorts of people people who'd been we ran a project for Launchpad yes who we spoke to who, a couple of weeks ago yeah, exactly week. yeah yeah so Launchpad uh, they would actually hire us to deliver a project for their clients and their clients would come into us midweek mid after during the day and they would take one of the donated bikes each so there'd be three or four people come in they would take a donated bike out of the way so they'd go around they'd pick a bike they'd like the look of they'd take it up to the workshop and they'd spend the afternoon refurbishing it and when it was ready it was theirs but they had to learn to fix yeah. it. Some of those guys, they came out and girls, came back because it was a scene. It was somewhere to go. Yeah. You could drink tea, you could talk nonsense, you could listen to music, and you could help people fix bikes, and you could work on your own bike. So they had a bike, they'd want to come in and make sure it was just, they'd tweak it, they want to buy it, you know, they want to change the saddle or whatever it was. So they became regular volunteers. And uh, it just grew and grew and grew and grew. And we had Jacksons, and then... Um, we were there I can't remember exactly how long we were there for but about a lot longer than we anticipated yeah. about 18 months and the building changed hands uh, and we uh, we moved out well we didn't move we, yeah we did move out we put everything we hid everything away while they sold the building yeah and then when the new owners had the building they had an entirely different vision for what they were going to do with the site so they had they were going to resubmit a planning application or submit a new planning application so it was handy for us to be in there because we took on the business rate liability, which for a building like that is substantial. Yeah. It's about 80 grand a year. 
but we got a, because we were a community interest company, we got a, a discount. So yeah. we were paying, I can't remember if we paid, but it wasn't very much. It was affordable. Um, and uh, so that was in their interest that we'd be there. But also yeah. we looked after it. We were there. <laughs> yes. We were a tenant. We were occupying it. You know, we had fire. We installed our... Because we were responsible for the building. We installed yeah. fire alarms. And, a little bit like security. A little bit of security. And we were like security yeah. for them. But also when they wanted to let somebody in, because they were a London-based company, if they wanted to send somebody up to Reading to measure up, they'd call us and say, yeah. can you let so-and-so in? It's much easier for them. So it yeah. worked really well. And uh, we were there until April last year when we finally moved out everything went into storage and we've been looking for new premises ever since so this amazing thing we yeah. refurbished I think we refurbished and sold about 850 bikes we had 8,000 workshop hires which if we estimate people were came in twice that's 4,000 people in three years came in to fix their bikes up uh, we sold countless parts and tires and stuff like that. we did all sorts of other things as well that were you know tangential to the actual bike kitchen project and then it all came to an end and we're back to where we were before, yep. which is running pop-ups. We go to the Global Cafe every Monday night because the, the cafe used to be closed on a Monday and we, it was just next, it's just so close to Jackson. So we, every Monday we go there at six o'clock, we put a few work yep. stands up, people come in, we had about half a dozen people in last night. We go to the university, we go to the farmer's market, uh, we work with the repair cafe uh, and stuff. And we just go around the town setting up little workshops. But ultimately we'd like to get back into having some properties and premises that we can work out of so is there is there a is there a plan to get at your own your own premises again is it yes it's easy as yes that? no it's very difficult because although we've while we were in jackson's we made a, a few bob we've, we've banked that so that we've got an asset that we can use to move in so we can fit a place out we don't really generate that much in right. the way of income it was very very low cost it's it's aimed at people who haven't got much money uh, yeah um and a bike is an important part of getting around town. So, uh, we although we've got some money, it's nowhere going. It's not going to cover <laughs> town centre rent. Yeah. So we need to find some premises that are cheap. We've got a few ideas. We've got one very good idea coming along at the moment, but it's kind of we've been working with another organisation to take on uh, a, a recently derelict property and refurbish it. But we had ambitions of opening in September, and it hasn't happened. So, okay, it's. Any day now, it yes. might happen. We might say, "Yes, we're here." I don't say anything else. Yeah, that's, to that's today fine. about what, where that is, in case I jinx it. But uh, <laughs> we have got plans, and we, we we want to start uh, in a new premises at some point. It'd be it would be I think it'd be great to have the the bike kitchen back. I, I, I if nothing else, for purely selfish reasons, I, I'm a casual, occasional cyclist myself, uh, and I remember having to change the pedal and I bought some of those clip-in boots for my uh, for my road bike and uh, god I sound posh with a road bike don't I but um, yeah I, I, and I remember spent I must have spent about four hours trying to change these flipping pedals yeah uh, up yeah and if, if I could have just gone somewhere and someone showed me what to do oh, yeah, I was yeah, just yeah. I'm having just as much trouble with the saddle at the moment so well this is the way <laughs> come down come down next Monday night I may well the thing is that actually Bicycles are very, by their very nature, are dead simple things. Yeah. But nobody knows how simple they are. Yeah. Bike shops, bike mechanics like to pretend that they're actually very complicated because that's how they get the trade. If they, if they, if you knew what they knew, which is not much, they, they would be out of business. <laughs> and, and it's, it, it's. Uh, what was good though was that from the other bike companies, the other bike business in the town centre point of view is, we created. A cycling culture which Reading didn't really have yeah 
not to that extent. With that number of people cycling into the town centre to get their bikes fixed and cycling away again and knowing other cyclists and seeing each other in town, that whole scene developed. And the bike shops benefited from that because there were just lots more yeah. cyclists about. Yeah. So the big loss to the town is not the bike kitchen. It is the fact that all those people are possibly looking at, uh, you know, they're not having that support to keep their bikes on the road. Yeah. And uh, that's that's the concern for me is... So, because I, I looked at the pricing on the website, so for when, obviously, for when, for when you're running the, the sessions, and you know, I think, I think the highest price was eleven pounds. Is that? Yeah, is that right? all day? It cost you eleven. Yeah. So, yeah. and you'd be using a workshop. Yeah. All day with people helping yeah. you and plying you with cups of tea and bags <laughs> of biscuits and you know some sounds playing and it was we had yeah. heaters on in the winter so yeah it was cheap as chips. So was, yeah, and I, I guess as you say, without without having a regular open big open space like you had before suddenly fixing your bike costs a lot more money and that well yeah know. if you take it to a bike shop they're going to charge you 40 quid for an yeah. hour's labor and i mean the pedals won't they probably won't charge you for the pedals because it will no, take them about two minutes but you know i'm pretty ashamed of that to be honest <laughs> should have read the rules or the, the instructions really but you know yeah, yeah. so yeah that's that's the benefit of the bike kitchen it uh, it, it helps it empowers people it gets people skilled yeah. Just to go off on a, on a slight tangent then, Adrian, what is your favourite thing about Reading? It has to be, gosh, if you, there's, there's two really nice things about Reading and one of them is that I've been here for a long time and I've met lots of people uh, who I really like, I really admire and who make the town what it is. And it's not the people who make the town what it looks like when you first come here. It's what goes on behind the scenes. It's the little bars and clubs and it's the little events. It's the, the little projects that go on. Uh, that's something that I like a lot about Reading. And that took me a long time to get to appreciate. But I think my favourite thing is if, if you were to look at a map of Reading, imagine it's kind of like a circle. That's the town of Reading. Yeah. And in the southwest corner, there's a green triangle that comes in. So imagine the old Pac-Man. Yes. Pac-Man with them. Yeah. Like that. Well, that triangle is the Kennet Valley, the lower Kennet Valley. And I think that's, for me, that's my favourite thing. So that so um, just just on that you you if I remember rightly this was back in my my younger days you wrote a, a nature column for the Reading Evening Post yeah, and it actually started in the Kent Valley because I think what happened was one of your predecessors a journalist came on a a, a day it was a, a, an activity it was called Common Purpose and it was uh, I don't know if you ever remember it but it was a, a scheme to get people who shared a vision for Reading or yeah. could contribute to Reading to come together for a couple of days. And to get to not the network, but yeah. also there was a number of things that happened in the afternoon. So you'd be sitting around in the morning talking about things that you could do to make a change and to improve the town. But in the afternoon, there were uh, activities. And one of the activities was a walk yeah. to explore the green spaces of Reading, which I used to lead as part of my job. So I used to take these folk out for a walk. And one particular day, quite early on, I think probably the first or second one I ever did, um, were... I think editors of the Chronicle and <laughs> the Evening Post and they opted for the walk Yeah, came out on the walk and uh, they went back and, oh, I can't believe this I didn't know we had this this yeah. asset this wonderful it's not a nature reserve but it's just this wonderful green space that is rarely visited uh, it floods in the winter it's teeming with wildlife uh, and it's 
often overlooked. And as a result of that, in fact, what happened was the Chronicle were the first people, and they yeah. they, they published a piece uh, about me and my work and the, and, and the, the Kennet Meadows. But then, very quickly after that, the Evening Post said, oh, "How about you write for us?" <laughs> so that started me writing a column in the paper, four hundred words a week, uh, right up until I think twenty twelve. That rings a bell. I think it was twenty twelve yeah. that I finally stopped doing it. But uh, yeah, so um, and a lot of that was because I'm. I love first of all I love riding my bike and if I was to go into town which I did quite do quite a lot my favourite way into town is four times longer than the most direct <laughs> route the most direct route is straight down the A4 which yes. isn't great but the nicest route is down to the canal and along the canal to yeah. Opath and into Reading that way yes. and that's through that green wedge so that was my favourite way of getting into town and that was you know so I got to know that but I also I've always had uh, a dog which obviously needs walking, and yes. I live in Southcote, and the nearest walk is the Kennett Meadows. Yeah. So over the years, I've got to know them very well, probably as well as anybody uh, currently does. Um, and uh, you meet people over there who are also walking dogs, or yeah. sometimes they're bird watchers over there, and so they get to know people. Uh, and then in the winter, it floods, and there's nothing I like more than a challenge. <laughs> so some years when it's flooded, I've got hold of a pair of waders, got to explore it when it's flooded and in fact when one year when it flooded I borrowed a, uh, an open canoe my daughter and I went down with a camera to get among the wild ducks that were down there on the flood water to take photographs of them and we just canoed all over what are now meadows <laughs> isn't it? and I think that's my favourite uh, thing about Reading of those is that that whole green yeah. wedge because uh, it's such an it's become such an intrinsic part of my life I cycle through it I walk through it yeah. I know the bird life that lives there I know all the wildflowers well, I'm all of them but I know I can find interesting wildflowers um and uh, I know a lot of the people that are associated with it, and I've become a, it's become a little bit of a uh, it's a it's a thing that a lot a lot of people know about my work in the bike kitchen or the cycle campaign or whatever and the work I used to do with the council. But I think the thing that a lot of people know me for live in my community, live around me, know me as the that bloke in the meadows. <laughs> Adrian, thank you very much for taking the time to talk it's to been us. A great pleasure. Um, I am hoping we'll get you back again. Uh, in the in the, the next few weeks um, talk a little bit about cycling and uh, hopefully to have a little chat about your time uh, and the transition between Berkshire County yeah, Council yeah, and Reading yeah, Borough Council because uh, just before we started doing this just before we started recording you were telling me some uh, really really interesting stories about some of the things that you had to take on yeah. when that change went on so um, hopefully we'll have you back very very I'm soon uh, thank you very much Adrian Lawson great pleasure sat in here for half an hour before we actually even got started and I think I've got ideas for two or three separate interviews with him about lots of different things. Um, I don't know if you've met Adrian at all but he obviously had a long history working for the Reading Post doing his nature column which I've I touched not on met briefly. Him, no, but I have been told about his uh, his nature column quite a few times okay. by, by former members of staff <laughs> who, who did work with him or knew him through that. He has actually got a book out on Reading um, on the nature, the, the nature trail uh, 
Um, and he should have another book coming out next year, I believe, as well, he was, he was mentioning. So uh, it was certainly worth keeping an eye on those if you're interested in what Mr Lawson is up to. Um, if you want to get involved in our show, you can follow and write to us on Twitter at Real Reading Pod. Um, you can look us up on Facebook by just searching for Real Reading Podcast. We are on Instagram as well. And we'd love some more followers on there. And uh, if you're able to, please leave us a review on iTunes. Um, on to our favourite segment of the week, which I think might get a bit of a revamp in time for the seventh show. I'm very excited about the seventh show, and I'll, uh, we'll talk about why on the seventh show. Um, but uh, some final thoughts then. Uh, Jenny? Yes, so I wanted to talk about um, a uh, mirror campaign that Get Reading is supporting. Obviously, Get Reading is owned by Trinity Mirror, um, the company that owns the mirror. And they are running a campaign um, called Change the Law for Life. Um, which this week we're supporting and we're asking people to get in touch with their MPs to ask them to to support it as well. Um, Research from our data unit that Hugh mentioned earlier on has shown that since 2007 there have been 54 people waiting for organ transplants in Berkshire who have died um, and many of those deaths could have been prevented by organ transplants. Um, On Friday, the day that this podcast goes out, MPs will be voting on a private member's bill, um, which uh, hopefully will change organ donation from an opt-out system, from an opt-in system to an opt-out system. So uh, if you don't want your organs to be donated following your death, you have to specifically tell your family members, I don't want this to happen, rather than telling them that you do want this to happen. Um, If the bill is passed, um, we're hoping that the law will become known as Max's Law in honour of nine-year-old Max Johnson, who is currently recovering from a heart transplant that he had last summer. Um, So we're just hoping that today, on Friday, um, MPs across Reading and the rest of Berkshire will have kind of taken taken note of the the public feeling towards this and will vote in favour of the private members' bill. Um, The thing, uh, my final thought this weekend, uh, and I feel like I'm allowed to talk about this as one of our columnists on Get Reading, Russell Kempson, has written an entire column about it, but it is FA Vars quarter-final weekend. (gasps) Who's playing in that, Tom? Well, who's playing in that? Well, for for probably the first time ever, there are three teams from Berkshire still in the competition. And just just to give you all a little bit of background, the FA Vars is a national uh, football competition. It's like the third rung of of the national competitions. There's the FA Cup, which is for all teams, the FA Trophy, which is all teams um, from just below the Football League, um, down about, I think there's about four divisions in there. And the FA Vars is for, for any team at kind of what's called Step 5, which is uh, like Thatcham and Bracknell and Windsor and, and teams like that. So uh, there are three teams from Berkshire, as I said, in the FA Vars quarterfinals. And they are those three teams I just mentioned, Bracknell, Thatcham and Windsor. They are uh, effectively, the, the semi-finals are two-legged, so there's, there's three games or two games effectively from a Wembley Stadium appearance and there's never been a Berkshire side in the final of the FA Vars since it was started in I think about 1974 so it is a really really exciting weekend Fantastic hopefully well if, if two of them get into the final that would be fantastic I think is that there's, a possibility? There's definitely a chance uh, but Bracknell are playing the favourites for the tournament um, I think they're play, but they're playing them at home so and they've got to come down from Middlesbrough so you've got to think they've got half a chance there I mean Bracknell are a very very good side themselves um, Thatcham are only going over to Wiltshire so that's not too bad um, I think Windsor have got the toughest assignment they are up to Stockton uh, in Teesside or on Teesside 
um, or Stockton on Tees, I think it's called, and that's obviously uh, that's a four or five hour trip up there, up to uh, up to Middlesbrough away for them. Um, but certainly, certainly, you would hope that at least one of them will be in the semi-finals. Um, but fingers crossed for all three. That sounds like a particularly tough place to go on a Tuesday night. Saturday, Hugh. Oh, it still sounds like a tough place to go on a Tuesday night. Yeah, it's Middlesbrough on a a Saturday. It's also going to be really, really cold. So, um, And not just in Middlesbrough down here as well, but if the weather's anything to go by. Um, Best of luck for those teams. And hopefully we will be getting a trip to Wembley out of it. Maybe a more successful trip to Wembley than than, uh, Berkshire football fans usually get. Yes, I know uh, Russell's column was uh, sort of uh, focusing on how... Uh, you know the, the the fact that there is some light uh, in Berkshire football at the moment compared to how Reading are performing. So, oh dear, <laughs> everybody sighs. Hugh, you uh, have a particularly tasty thing I, to talk about. I do. Yes, yes. Um, I we we have been investigating the uh, con- controversial and sudden closures of uh, the uh, KFCs in in Reading because. And this is probably quite a big problem if you run a KFC, is that they don't have any chicken. <laughs> um, there's, there's five in Reading, one in Bracknell. None in Wokingham? No, oh good lord no. <laughs> Wokingham doesn't lend itself to, have, to having a KFC, don't, don't you know? Wow. <laughs> uh, it, doesn't have, it has Burger King. Yes, it, it does. It does not have yeah. a McDonald's. Is also. there a wimpy in Wokingham? I feel like Wokingham is a very wimpy place. Um, no. <laughs> No, they don't even have a Weatherspoons anymore. No, they don't. Oh. They don't much have much of a town centre, to be honest. No, I, I drove through there at the weekend. It's just, it's just largely rubble. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, they they there are. What did I say? There are five in Reading, one in Bracknell. Of the five in Reading, three are currently closed. Um, the branch in Broad Street is open, but it does not have any popcorn chicken or any um, what they called a original chicken. The, the so you can get a, a Zinger burger, okay, um, but you can't get your, your classic KFC. And the one in the Forbury Retail Park is open, and I'm told reliably you can get everything you need from a KFC there. Fantastic. Um, well, I'm sure that won't last for long. <laughs> I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure that, and also by the fact that the time this comes out on Friday, it's probably all oh, going. You again. would hope that they've been restocked. Um, maybe we can all just hope that by next weekend. Next yes. weekend's KFC rush. Absolutely, absolutely, yes. We're all a bit concerned about our reporter, James Aldridge, who eats more fried chicken than anyone I've ever met. And, uh, <laughs> it, he, he, looked, he came in really dressed up this morning, uh, and I wondered whether he was suffering some sort of uh, KFC fried chicken-related illness. Yes, or the S morning, perhaps. Um, well, fingers crossed. Um, <laughs> Finger licking. <laughs> not, 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 yeah, not, so uh, not quite right. <laughs> um, Jenny, we decided we were going to add a, an, a featured event for the weekend uh, just before we all signed off. Um, this looks great. Yeah, so I just wanted to let everybody know about a family wild day that's happening on Saturday the 24th of February. It starts at 11.30am and it runs until about 3.30 and it's at Lewes Hill Cops in Tilehurst. So it's at the kind of area where Tay Road and Spay Road meet um, in the D Park area. Um, and there's going to be bug hunting, wild art, drama, a woodland wor- workout, storytelling. Um, it's supported by conservation volunteers in Berkshire um, and funded by uh, the uh, Housing Association Catalyst. 
Um, and it just seems like a really nice, fun kind of family day out. Uh, get outside. Hopefully, it'll be dry. I haven't actually looked at the forecast. I can it's sunny but cold. Sunny is but it cold, sunny but yes. cold? Fantastic. Yes. Thank you, both of you. For so wrap up warm, but you should stay dry. And whack the suntan lotion on. Do you think? Okay. <laughs> said sunny but warm. Sunny but cold. Yeah. Best to be best to be careful with that. Be safe. Can I talk very quickly about cricket? Yeah. Oh, must you? Yeah. Very quickly. Um, cricket clubs across uh, Berkshire will be starting their indoor winter training around this time. My club, Typhon and Ruscombe CC, has at uh, 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights at the Blue Coat School. Uh, all welcome. looking for players. Are you just using this podcast as a shout out to get more cricket players now? Yes, yeah, but generally across Berkshire, um, there, are, there are many cricket clubs in places like Crowthorne, Thiel, Sonning, Woodley. You don't need to list them all. I'm not going to list them all. Um, there are plenty of um, cricket clubs for all, all abilities. It's a great game for young and old. It's the only, one of the only games you can that fathers can really realistically play with their sons they you know they get too old to play rugby or football and um, but you can play with, with your uh, play on the same side as your your young child and it's great fun for everyone and it's now the time to get some practice in before the start of the season in April can mothers and daughters play cricket as well uh, many teams have girls girls teams yes uh, it is um, at the moment the teams tend to be tend to be separated I don't have, we we have had women play in our team. Um, I have played against a team which have women in their team as well. So it is something that is happening more, but also there are separate men's and women's teams available too. Um, uh, so there are teams that women can join? Yes, the team in Binfield has a very, very good young girl. I think she's 15 or 16 and she's pretty much far too good to play against the likes of us, unfortunately. <laughs> so, uh, so yes, it, it does happen. Uh, sorry for that slight tangent around cricket. Um, however, you know, by all means, Go along, let us know how you get on. So, just on to the, the final bit. Uh, if you know anyone who you think would be great to interview for the podcast, please do let us know. Uh, the only prerequisite is that they must live or work in the town, and most importantly, they must love Reading. Like, like we, we do. do. Yes, that was unscripted. We did that almost together. Um, that's all for now. Uh, we'll see you in a week. Bye. Bye-bye. Hi, this is Adrian Lawson and you're listening to The Real Reading Podcast.